You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform designed for and by outdoorsmen. Go Wild is a place to connect with other outdoorsmen, find fishing and hunting tips and tactics, and you can even research and buy your gear. Join hundreds of thousands of other hunters, fishermen, and outdoorsmen and experience what this community is all about. Download it today at DownloadGoWild.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Happy hump day, everybody, and welcome back. Um, I tell you what, I really appreciate all of you, every one of you, for taking time out of your day to listen, and uh, today is no exception when it comes to the guest that we're going to be talking with today. Uh, today on the docket, we have Ben Rising of Whitetail Edge. They do a YouTube uh uh, YouTube series, and this is kind of a BS session. I'm kind of all over the place, but you know that about me already when it comes to the questions. Whoops, I had to shut my air conditioner off there. Uh, when it comes to the question that I asked, and today is just kind of a BS session. I talk about how he got involved in hunting. Uh, we talk about his kids and how he's involving them into hunting. We talk about, you know, the big bucks strategies as well we, we kind of just shoot from the hip and kind of go everywhere where the whitetail takes us you know the whitetail conversation takes us this is an excellent episode really good guy and i highly recommend going out and uh um, checking out uh, whitetail edge on the uh on their youtube channel so check that out as well if you're not following along on the Nine Finger Chronicles, you need to do so, and I would highly recommend following along on my Instagram page and my Facebook page and some other stuff I'll be doing, especially the uh, the gear reviews that I've done. I've just launched, let's see, um, Monday this week, I launched a review on the hunting pants merino wool or not necessarily merino wool but the hunting pants and and bottom base layers that i wear i think thursday or next week sometime i'm going to be launching another video that talks about my tops and how i layer my uh my gear and then the third one coming out probably next week or the week after is going to be all about boots and um 
uh, boots and socks and the combination I run there. Uh, so it's just a, a real quick review, basically a gear, uh, a gear dump where I talk about the, the clothing aspect of, of what I wear. So keep an eye out for those things. I am going to be doing some giveaways here pretty soon. I'm going to be giving out um, some Exodus trail cameras or a couple of them, I think. I'm gonna be giving out uh, one of their lifts, badass trail cameras. Uh, so keep an ear out for that. And here's what I'll say about that. Make sure you're uh, following along on Instagram for that and you're subscribed to the Nine Finger Chronicles uh, podcast. So make sure you're uh, subscribing here as well. On top of that, uh, I think uh, as far as, uh, we've had a crazy week at the Johnson house, man. My son, I tell you what, it, it's crazy. This world is absolutely crazy right now. We get, uh, last night at football practice, my son and another boy, smokeheads, right? And so my son, he's not feeling well. He starts to throw up, all right? All right, concussion protocol says if he throws up once, it's per, it's kind of okay. His speech was okay. He was just in a lot of pain, whatever. He threw up again, then he started feeling better. So anyway, we took him to the hospital. Uh, because the second time they throw up, you're supposed to take them in regardless. And so what I, what we did was we got to the, uh, emergency room and man, I don't know. Um, we ended up taking him to the emergency room and we sat there for an hour. Okay. And so I pop my head and I go, Hey, what's the deal here? We've been here an hour. Oh yeah. And then the guy says, to, <laughs> the guy says to me, uh, a typical emergency room visit is two will take two to four hours. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't call this an emergency room. Then you should just call it a room. <laughs> and he didn't, he didn't really like that. Finally, a, a nurse came in and, uh, he had a minor, my son, had a minor concussion and uh i don't know man that's the first as far as um somebody really getting hurt in my family i mean we've we've had sicknesses we've had viruses we've had to uh, take a little bit of a uh a stint for pneumonia in uh, uh in the hospital but man the uh this is the first time We've had, a, a, I guess you would say, more of a major type injury in the family. And I guess I should just be prepared for that because, you know, all my kids are in sports or they're all uh, very active. So I, me and my brother, we both had VIP passes in the emergency room. So I guess that's kind of to be expected when you have kids in sports. So I'm entering into that phase of my life is what I'm getting at now. If you feel that that story has no place in this episode, please reach out to me and tell me. Don't leave a one-star review telling me how shitty of a podcast this is. Do me a favor and just maybe hit me up through Facebook or Instagram and just say, Hey, dude, just cut out all that fluff bullshit and get right to the hunting uh, talk. And uh, then I will... I will put a little dash down on a piece of paper and I'll, I'll note that someone reached out to me about that topic. So I don't know. What, I, I don't know. Anyway, um, before we get into today's episode, we're going to do uh, three real quick commercials. The first one is wasp archery. My favorite, my favorite, um, 
favorite, favorite, favorite broadheads, period. I'm a huge fan of the Boss 4 blade as far as a mechanic or as far as a fixed blade is concerned. Absolutely love that head. And then as far as the uh, mechanical is concerned, they have the jackhammer. And what's cool about the jackhammer is it comes in a couple different sizes. Let me pull it up once here. They have the jackhammer at a an inch and a quarter and then they have a jackhammer that is one and three-fourths cutting so it's a half inch bigger and i'll tell you this right now regardless of what you're shooting they destroy whatever they hit so i'm a huge fan i've been following those blood trails for years using wasp so i strongly recommend going over to wasparchery.com checking out the uh, lineup of fixed blades and mechanicals that these guys have and if you decide that you want to purchase enter the discount code nine the number nine fingers two zero two one nine fingers two zero two one and that's going to save you 20 percent off your purchase that's a win all right next on the agenda hunt stand if you are an out-of-state hunter if you are obsessed and are just always thinking about access routes and always thinking about um uh you know the properties that you hunt looking at terrain, looking at how wind goes through terrain, looking at um, you know topography, looking at contour lines, looking for any advantage that you can find um, on the animals that you're hunting, you need to pick up hunt stand. Because uh, to, in today's world, man, I'm opening myself up to hunting other states and obviously I don't live in those states, so I need a digital mapping type of device that uh, is going to lead me in the right direction and it allows me to catalog all my adventures by putting hey I saw a deer here once or I saw a rub a scrape here or there's a fence crossing here or here's water or here's where my tree stands are at or here was where I hung a trail camera you get to document all of that stuff and it's just a journal throughout the years of everything that you've learned about a piece of property and the more you know the better you're going to be able to hunt those properties and uh, you can definitely do that with hunt stand right so what i'm going to recommend is you go to huntstand.com and take a look at all the features that come with it uh, the best part is you can download it for free there's no charge to download it you can even mess around with it for free and if you want to bump up to where all the awesome features are it's only 30 bucks a year $30 a year and it gets you a shit ton of functionality uh, and uh, you can learn more about that at huntstand.com and lastly uh, I usually talk about how awesome the people are at Vortex the company the products I'm going to talk about a specific uh, a specific pro or property a specific piece of gear today and that's their Ranger rangefinder uh it is as far as range finders go right I'm, I'm not trying to church it up or make it sexier than what it really is this is a badass range finder number one it takes a beating i'm pretty hard on my equipment i've dropped it on concrete dropped it out of a tree it's gotten wet uh, all the things that you don't want to do with your optics i've done it and it keeps ticking and it keeps ticking and it keeps ticking and so as far as a range finder is concerned um as far as you know it's a it's a badass rangefinder so definitely go and check out that along with their other optics like their rifle scopes red dots binoculars uh rangefinders spotting scopes tripods uh 
and then they also have apparel and gear that you can uh, that you can go check out as well. So vortexoptics.com, badass people, badass company, uh, badass products, all that stuff. So there's that. Let's get into today's, we'll just call it a BS session with Ben Rising of Whitetail Edge. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Ben Rising of Outdoor Ed, or Whitetail Edge. I do apologize. Ben, how you doing, man? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'll tell you what. Now, don't take this as an insult, but I've been, I've had people tell me, oh, dude, I forgot about something. I got to reschedule. I myself have to reschedule episodes all the time, but I've never had anybody call me or uh, contact me and say, hey, Dan, I completely forgot about uh, you know about this pig auction that we're going to to go buy pigs. So that's yeah. a first. That's a first for me. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it was our local county fair, and um, our county is very big at supporting the youth and the 4-H. Yep. And uh, so these kids work hard all summer to raise hogs or steers or chickens, and tonight we're going for chickens turkeys and maybe even a feeder you know dairy feeder or a finished out you know beef steer um so the, but anyways long story short these kids just work hard at 4-h and they raise these animals and they this is how they make uh, a good little chunk of their money back to put into their piggy bank for whether what they ever want to do college or you know um so we ended up buying two pigs last night and a goat nice now I know that those animals go up for auction, right? If if they're like a blue ribbon, they'll get a higher price. And then, uh, like for example, uh, in Iowa, sometimes the pork producers will buy that and basically just bid it up so that the the person who gets the blue ribbon or or the second place runner up or whatever they get a good chunk of change for like going to college or whatever it is they decide to do. Is that how you guys do it too? Yeah, it's. It, it, it is and i mean it's so like you know you'll have crop insurance guys they're supporting farmers kids that they insure their crops on you know equipment businesses buying kids as pigs or cows that they sell a lot of farm equipment to people you know what i mean yep uh and then you just have people in the community that really don't do any business they just want to support the youth because i mean i think last night i can't remember for sure but if i had to guess i would say there was probably I would have to guess 60, 50 to 60 pigs sold last night, you know, and not a one of them, I think went under five fifty a pound. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's great that, you know, I, I'll tell you this. I think the world needs a little bit more farm kid work, work ethic. You know what I mean? hundred percent. So you just like the, I always, I always get a kick out of, I got, I got some, I'm in my high school, I had this group of friends and we've all stayed pretty tight throughout the last 21 years. And, uh, I have, I'm, I'm really the only hunter out of that group of people. And, uh, just like the hanging out with them and then the friends that they know or their wives or whatever. And the, the lack of disconnect between what goes into making a ham sandwich or a hamburger or how you get beef from you know, a calf all the way up to the shelf at the store is 
is completely crazy. Like it's so, it's so foreign. They think it just magically appears. And, yeah. uh, I, I love getting in conversations and, uh, with people like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a part of our uh, culture that is lost. And I mean, there's some County fairs anymore that hardly have any animals at them anymore because the farming communities are disappearing. Yep. You know, yep. and, uh, it's it's just a sad sad thing that's going on in our world and you know everybody's so animal rights activists anymore that you know and they think cows ought to be wearing bags to catch farts and, you know. <laughs> oh man that's funny um it's just, uh, just a crazy <laughs> it's a crazy freaking world we live in right now it is it is so with that said um Let's talk first. Uh, first, just touch base on what you do, right? So, um, are, is is Whitetail Edge full time for you? No, no. Um, my full time job is in the timber industry. You know, logging, uh, buying, purchasing, standing timber off landowners, uh, and harvesting it. Then we take it to uh, our mill. You know, I work for a big sawmill in the Holmes County, Ohio, and we then. Uh, you know, once it's at the mill, all the mill workers, you know, whatever, it's like 27 people at that mill. It's all turned into green lumber and, you know, hardwood. Then that's sold to people that produce furniture and cabinets and, you know, what's ever in your kitchen or you know, furniture you're sitting in, those kind of things. Gotcha. So it goes all over the world, United States, across the sea, everywhere. Yeah. Um, so, but that's my day job. And then Whitetail Edge is... Um, you know, I filmed ever since 2001, I think I started filming deer hunts and I was originally with the Drury's for like 13 years. And then in 2015, I started whitetail edge. That was our first fall of production Yeah, was 15 and it's just an online show, um, that, and it's focused on trying to teach people how to hunt mature deer. And I mean, it's, it's all about deer hunting basically. Um, and it's not just for people that want to hunt larger deer, but, or mature deer, but that's kind of what I'm known for and where my specialty is. So that's kind of where the focus of the show has gone more, but I'm a huge supporter of youth, uh, hunting and not being trophy hunters as youth. And, you know, um, you know, trying to make sure that young people today understand that, you know, if you're 15 years old, you shouldn't be passing up a three and a half year old buck or a two year old. Oh, yeah. You should be laying that sucker out and drawing blood because that's just, you know, I mean, that's how you learn things. And yeah. don't let social media and TV and the world dictate that you're a horrible hunter if you're not shooting a deer that's four and a half or five and a half years old. You know, yeah. that's that's not right. Yeah. I just had this conversation with a guy who one of his good buddies, uh, I'm not going to mention his name, owns a very large piece of property and he's putting his, his, his kid has already shot. I think they're 13 or 14 is our, and have already shot two one sixty class deer. Yeah. So what do they got to look for? Exactly. He goes, that's the fastest way to making a non hunter because all of a sudden now you have, you're not teaching them about the passion. You're trying to hit a number. And once you, plateau on that number then guess what because 200 inches just aren't popping out everywhere even on the highest managed land in the best part of let's just say iowa right yeah it, it just it's just, it's like a fast track for failure 
and I don't well, that, like I don't like being, that. And they're being spoon fed. Yep. You know they don't know what it's like to to work for a deer. Um, then you know you have a gargantuan buck at 160 inches walk out and you're laying it down and oh boy, you know I mean I I get it. I mean I know a lot of dads that do the same thing and. I just, I don't support that effort at all. I really yeah. don't. I, I've, I've pissed some people off before over my views of that. And they're like, well, you know, you only, life is short. How do you know that kid's not going to die next year or whatever? That could what? be the biggest fear he ever kills. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I really look at it like no. that, you know? Yeah. I mean, but trust me, you know, kids that shoot their first deer ever and then work their way up from, to you know killing more does and smaller bucks and then as they mature as a hunter and start focusing on maybe trying to shoot a little better rack deer and teaching them the man i mean that's where yeah these kids really that's when they get blood not bloodthirsty but they just they love it yeah you know they want to they want to keep after it and like i'll be honest my 13 year old kid i wouldn't let him shoot anything like when he was younger and you know I wouldn't let him shoot a deer that was, you know, more than a four corn or a six point at first when it was a buck, just because, you know, I wanted him to learn how to, to grow into harvesting a bigger deer yeah. and working for it. And he would actually help do the plots. You know, I, he was driving tractors at nine years old, you know, doing yeah. tilling plots and, but the camera has ruined that kid. Yeah. I'll be honest. So like he doesn't even want to go hunting, especially if the camera is going to go. So now I have to find a way to get my own son back into loving hunting again without, and it's going to take without having the camera in his face. Yeah. I feel you, man. I, uh, I put down the camera. I don't even remember. It was, it was, I was self-filming and that's a whole different story. Right. But like, uh, uh, Booner, like this 170 clean 10, what still to this day, like this beautiful, I see it in my nightmares. I let it walk in. It came up on me really quick. I, I let him walk through one of my shooting lanes at like, dude, 12 yards, just so I could get the camera on him for a, a bad shot. And, uh, I put the camera on him, drew back, took a rushed, bad shot, hit him. Couldn't find him. He survived next year. He came back and, uh, the neighbor shot him. And, that whole that reason right there was just like dude what was i what was my priority there right was my priority to kill the deer no my priority was to get it on film and yeah. uh, i know you know some people you know do that do do the whole filming thing and and that's great but like for me i just was like dude my priorities were screwed up and i i i needed to get back to the reason why i was hunting and that was to the the straight up enjoyment of it yeah Yep. And I totally feel you. And I mean, cause I'll be honest, there is, and I tell my whole team the same thing as far as the people that film with whitetail edge. When we have sponsors like we do yep. and they're paying us to promote their products and, and whitetail edge is by far not like a commercial. I mean, we, we are, a, we try to be a little different hunting show. We don't want to look like one of those shows that's just, pushing product and i won't push product that i think sucks i mean i won't even take product if i don't like it um so i try really hard to keep our show in that class of like okay people can trust what we say 
they can appreciate where we come from because we're all just blue collar guys. We're yeah. not, you know, we're not famous or, you know, we're not these big hunters. That's all we do is film deer hunts for a living and travel the country and live in our cars and, you know, po- post YouTube videos every day. We're not those guys, you know? Yeah. Um, but being said that I, I appreciate and respect our sponsors that do sponsor my show. I do tell guys, look, it's a priority that the deer needs to be on film because the kill is like, that's what, but I really stress to them to try to make ethical kills. And all of us have had the past deer because we couldn't get a good ethical shot within the right timing of the camera and things. So it's just a sacrifice you have to make. And, but, but I do agree with you. I mean, at times you're hunting more for the camera than the self enjoyment. Sometimes, you know, you put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me take a backward step here. Now we were talking about, you know, um, not letting your son go after like a, a booner or a, a big deer and him stair stepping his way up. You know, when it comes to being a mentor to your children or to anybody, really, there's a time when you got to kick them off the tit and you got to wean them, right? And say, go out, go out and fail, go out and, and everything I've taught you now it's, it's all on you now. How close is your 13 year old to doing that right now? Well, it's funny that you say that because, um, I just told him the other day, I said, you know. I would like to see you just go have fun. Yeah. Like just, I have a, a farm not too far from our house here that, um, we have access to and got a couple blinds on it and, you know, just put some food plots in it and it's got a lot of deer on it. You know, nothing giant. We can have a real big one here or there, but there's, you know, quite a bit of, there's some, probably a handful of those, 120s to 135 class deer on it right now that I know he could get a shot at, you know, if he puts any time in. Yeah. And I told him, I said, just, I want you to just, you know, go do it this year on your own. If you want to, you know, call your, call your buddy, Jake, have him come over, sit in the blind with you You guys hunt together, shoot does, lose arrows, you know, make mistakes. I really don't care. Yeah. You know, just, get out there and enjoy it again. Cause I'm so afraid of him losing it forever that he doesn't, but he's really into baseball right now. And he's, he's yeah. played on three different teams this year and he's really good at ball. So like, that's a major focus for him. You know, Briar is kind of yeah. a lot like me. He's, he's laser focused on what he's doing at the time. Um, and so his focus right now is being, the best baseball player he can be while he's playing ball during, you know, these leagues. So deer hunting will come next possibly when he gets a little bored, then, you know, he'll start wanting to get out there. Yeah. Um, but I just want him, I think he's at that age now where he's old enough and he's had enough experience. He's killed enough deer that he knows what to do. He doesn't need me to sit there and coach him. Right. You know, right. Yeah, man. I tell you what, I was, I was that same way where I enjoyed going hunting and fishing in the outdoors until, you know, like, especially kids who are in sports, right? They get into this really social, like hunting can be social, but for me, it really wasn't because not a lot of my friends, 
uh, did the hunting thing or the fishing thing. Um, yep. so it wasn't near a social. And then, you know, in a young man's life like that, you got the, the social aspect, which is really intriguing for the, the youngsters and they go into sports and they go into high school and they, then they even go into college. And unless they're just diehards, the hunting and the outdoors tends to take a little bit of a backseat for, I mean, it did for me anyway, but once I started having more free time in the quote unquote real world is when my passion really started kicking back in again. Yeah. Yep. And to like to Briar's defense, he has lived in the middle of nowhere, his whole young right. life. You know right. what I mean? And so like, just like for instance, camping, Okay, you know, we do some camping and stuff, but when our kids, when we go camping, the last place they want to go is to a state park for nature and hiking trails. Right. <laughs> they they want to go someplace where they can go to a swim park or we can go do something fun because yeah. every day of their life, they're seeing turkeys or deer or stopping on the road for a deer and fawns to walk across or it's no big deal. Yeah. You know, it's just part of life to them and you know, being, you know, around the woods or whatever. So uh, I think that too has a factor in as he gets older and maybe gets to experience more of that life of, I guess you'd say suburban life or city life type thing where you're not exposed to living like this every day, he'll probably start to miss it. Yeah. Yeah. He just doesn't know that yet. Right. That's a fact, man. That's a fact. All right, so let's let's go even further back now, right? And I want to talk about about you. Did you come from a a hunting family? Um, were you introduced by a dad or an uncle, or did that come later in life? Well, yeah. So my my dad, my grandpa, you know, he grew up hunting too, but they really didn't have deer in Ohio like when my grandpa was growing up, and nor my dad. You know, deer hunting really didn't become a thing in Ohio until like basically like the late seventies, I would say into the early eighties is when yeah. deer started really showing up in Ohio to any kind of degree. Um, but my dad was a trapper. Um, he liked to trap and he used to do predator calling. Um, he never deer hunted until I started wanting to deer hunt, you know, cause we had a family friend or two that deer hunted and I was really intrigued with that. You know, I grew up on a small farm milk some cows, worked for some local farmers, but I grew up cutting my tree teeth, trapping, squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting. And then, you know, I probably started bow hunting when I was about 14, 13, 14. Gotcha. You know, somewhere in there just with the old, you know, an older like bear white tail two hunter with some aluminum arrows and didn't even know what the heck I was doing, Absolutely. but I could shoot the thing instinctively into hay bales in my backyard and you know i just basically was using whatever i could find that people would give me or you know yeah. to screw onto the end of my arrow or you know those type of days but um the trapping i think because i was trapping at a very young age you know my my dad i was setting my own traps for raccoons and i was catching red fox at the age of 12 you know, and that's no lie. I mean, my dad's got pictures of me running my own fox line at the age of 12 with uh, a whole line of red fox that I would sell. And even back then, the locals thought he was lying because, you know, red <laughs> fox are not easy to catch. Right. 
you know, they're, they're cagey, they're scent oriented. And I picked all that up really early. Like my dad drilled that into me when I was a kid. And I used to do like dirt hole contests, setting traps at trapping conventions. And, um, cool thing was I can remember being a kid, just a youngster, like I'm 47, but I can remember being like 13, 12, 13 years old and watching Tom Miranda do uh, seminars on trapping at the trapping conventions. Yeah. That's crazy because not a lot of people look at Tom Miranda and say that dude's a trapper, right? They, yeah. They look at him as the 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 world class bow hunter. Yeah. 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 Tom was a hell of a trapper. I mean, he was. I mean, that's how he started out. Yeah. Was his trapping books and trap line, and I mean, that's he's a real Tom Miranda's the real deal. I mean, you know. Um, and a lot of people probably don't, I guess, get that, you know, like, especially this younger generation, a lot of people maybe don't know who Tom Miranda is, but yeah. Tom Miranda is one of those guys that my guess is you could drop him out of a plane anywhere and he'd probably survive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard, uh, I heard a story about him, uh, when he was down in South Africa, I, I don't know if he got stung by something or bit by something or he was having like, oh no, it might've been his pancreas or something. And he had to go through like war zones to get to a hospital. Um, and he like just a tough son of a gun. And that's, uh, yeah. I don't know. I like hearing stories like that, but yeah, no, well, and we're in, in the reason why Dan is because we're losing those kinds of people yeah. in our culture. Yeah. That's a fact. Our, our, our future is, you know, they're, they're out there, but the youngsters today, don't know what it's like to go without much. I mean, I know oh, there's yeah. some out there that do, but most of the the younger generations today don't know what it's like to get calluses on their hands to, to earn the shoes they're wearing. Yeah. That's a fact. That's my, and it's my own fault with my own kids, right? They have things that they, I don't know. I was bitching to my wife about the cost. Of my, my daughter got a $75 pair of shoes. And I about shit my pants. And, <laughs> and when she's like, oh, well, they're nice. She can use them for school. I'm like, she's going to, number one, she's going to grow out of them in a couple months. Number two, this, this kid does not deserve a $75 pair of shoes. I was wearing Walmart specials up until I was in ninth grade before I ever had any type of name brand shoe and i was like oh my god this is the most important thing in my life then you get older and you're like it doesn't mean anything the brand the brand yeah. on that shoe doesn't mean anything and no. uh so i had a I, I had a little hissy fit and i actually marked that down in your calendar i won that argument and uh, she returned the shoes and i was pretty jacked about that yeah so yeah. let me talk to you a, a second about um uh, oh man, we were, we were talking about, you know, your youth and, and trapping and whatnot. Do you think that trapping or small game hunting, when it comes to maybe introducing someone into the, the sport of bow hunting or deer hunting, do you think those, those two things have any correlation to, let's just say strategy or a person's success as they get, you know, like they start off doing something that doesn't require them to be quiet like uh you know like shooting squirrels out of trees or doing you know setting a trap line because you're you're not there when the the animals come in and get trapped do you do you still think that there's some kind of correlation between trapping and maybe squirrel hunting or small game hunting that can lead to someone being 
uh, flattening the learning curve and having better success as a deer hunter? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, you know, for me trapping, okay. I learned a lot about animal habits. I think trapping and obviously I'm a logger, so I've lived in the woods my whole life, but, um, a lot, you know, learning to trap taught me how to read animal sign and how animals use the landscape Yeah, from, from muskrats to mink, how they'll use ditches, you know, culvert pipes, same with raccoons, fox, how they'll travel, you know, little lower spots and fields at times and how they'll come to fence posts and a gate fence gate and pee on it and then go through, you know, same with like squirrel hunting. Like I used to be a huge squirrel hunter as a kid, learned how to watch, you know, listen for squirrels cutting nuts. And then I'd tune in on that tree where that, those nuts were falling. Cause they sound different than blue jays cutting beech nuts. So then you'd slowly tiptoe your way to that tree and try to find that squirrel popping around up there. And I was big on using a 22. My dad always wanted me to try to shoot him with a 22 to learn to be a great shot. Yeah. And, you know, I shot some with a shotgun, don't get me wrong, but you know, the 22 really honed my skills at hunting squirrels. Um, and so learning those habits of just being stealthy and quiet and, you know, how to work a squirrel tree like that at times, you know, all those things, same with rabbits, you know, busting brush for rabbits and just for one, just learning how to be a shot, how to take a bead on an animal and put it down, yeah. you know, that yeah. adrenaline, quick adrenaline spike, you know, and how to, to overcome that, I think is all a huge part in developing your skills as you mature into maybe a deer hunter or, you know, hunting really large deer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's one thing that I, I, and I, I talk about this all the time where I, I did some deer hunting when I was younger, right? And I hunted a little bit, but I never had that, um, the, those moments with those big deer, right? So then I got my first trail camera and I'm, I'm 26 years old and I, I throw this trail camera out and I get the pictures back. You know, the, the trail cameras that you had to go get the pictures actually developed at like a one hour deal. So I'm waiting in my truck, get it. And the next day I go out to hunt and I get a picture of this. Uh, like a 120 inch buck and I show the farmer I go look at this buck man I was all jacked up about it and he's like no nah, man you can't shoot that buck I'm like what and you go granted I'm from I'm from Iowa so I have I'm living in the land of giants is what some call it right and uh and he's like dude you can't shoot that man there's so much just you know give it some time and and there's so much there's so many bigger deer out there so then for years I'm passing all these small deer Right. And I've had, I had some success on some, you know, four-year-olds or whatever. And then came the time for the mammoths to come out. Right. And I get encounters with a mammoth and I screw them up because I didn't have the expertise at controlling that, uh, you know, controlling that, that adrenaline dump at the time when you need, you can't get that unless you have experience at shooting deer. Right. So I missed out on all that and I, I skipped it. And, uh, it, it led to me screwing up on some pretty impressive animals over the years. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know. I just, and I think like going back to the kids, just kill stuff, right? Just get out there and, and run that trap line, shoot those squirrels, shoot those does and small bucks. And, and all that will kind of lead into, 
you know, you being successful really in, in any stressful situation. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, without a doubt. So, okay. So when you were a kid, you said you started bow hunting when you were like 14 years old, 13 years old or whatever. At that point, was it cannonball in everything? I'm a bow hunter or did that take some time till you got into the quote unquote hardcore stage? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, cause at that point I was still trapping, I was still running coon hounds and I ran coon hounds forever, you know, up into my later years even. And so like the bow hunting, I didn't become like almost a complete solo bow hunter till I was probably about 25, yeah. 26, you know, that's when I really just, I don't know. I, I, I killed a booner when I was 24, 25 with a bow and I killed a few good deer before that. And every time the satisfaction of hunting with archery just became more and more of a love for me. And yeah. I just, I couldn't get away from it, you know? Yeah. And, um, it's just a different feeling and nothing against anybody that's shooting a deer with a gun. Cause you know, for, I just love to hunt so much. Archery gave me a longer span to hunt, yeah. you know? And I, that part I liked. I get to hunt earlier and get out in the woods more. And, you know, I just fell in love with bow season, you know. And uh, I still love shooting turkeys in the face with a shotgun. <laughs> That's a fact. Like, I'm not a turkey guy, uh, self-admittedly. I, I I get excited about turkey hunting when it's turkey season. Um, but, dude, I think about deer all the time. Like, I, I think that a medical, if a medical professional like did some kind of survey on my brain or, or scan on my brain, they would say like, Oh, this guy has some kind of compulsive disorder. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think we all would. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So I got to ask you a real high level question you can take it any direction you want. What do you love about hunting what do you love and you can even boil it down to bow hunting what do you love about bow hunting well you know that man that's a deep question because you know there's so much about it that you know i it's weird of all the big deer i, I mean i've killed a lot of really big deer with a bow, you know? Um, and it's funny because like when you ask me a question like that, or when to this day, when I, when I just saying the word bow hunting to myself or like, I think I still think of those days when I was 14, 15 years old, 13 years old, sitting in wooden tree stands that I had made myself or, sitting on a, behind a log or just smelling the woods yeah. at that stage of my life. And it was like, I was just learn. I was like that new Fox pup just learning his area. You know, I mean, those honestly are the best memories still to this day for me. Um, no matter all the big deer I've killed and I've killed 200 inch deer. Those are great memories. Don't get me wrong. And I love them. And I'll never forget those times, but there's something really special when you be, when you're becoming a bow hunter and you're learning and like, 
even now, like as the, the seasons start to change and I may be walking a, t- a piece of timber to estimate it and you get those subtle hints, the smell of fall as the leaves are starting to turn or like after a rain. And I mean, it just takes me to a place that in my mind, like it almost gives me chills, you know, and I'm just so thankful that I was blessed enough to be able to, to live this life, you know, and experience that, that God was, you know, that I grew up in a family that I got to have that chance, you know, and I didn't grow up in the concrete jungle and deal with some of the things that these poor people have to deal with in the city, you know, in these big cities or some of these kids that, you know, I mean, why I was lucky enough to, to get this way, I don't know, but you know, so bow hunting for me is like, I just love everything about it of the freedom of what you can experience. And it's, the one-on-one with me in that animal, you know, it's, it's just a different feeling, you know, and it's so hard to describe to people like how you feel after you blow an arrow with a perfect shot through an animal. Well, I don't care if it's a doe, a coyote, you know, a turkey, whatever it is that you're hunting with a bow and you make that lethal shot. It's just like, uh, it's a really respectful, I mean, it's not something that we should take for granted. And, you know, and I think so many people do these days to a degree, they're hunting more for what they're going to get on Instagram and Facebook than they are for their own satisfaction. Yeah. They're, they're doing it for the, and I honestly think that's why a lot of people miss deer, Dan, They make bad shots because they're already tagging the deer and in the back of their truck thinking about what all their buddies are going to say or how many likes they're going to get on Instagram and social media you know, before they've even put the arrow in the deer. Absolutely. agree. I couldn't agree more with you. And you know what I really liked about what you said there is you put the experience on top of everything. You put the experience on top of the inches, the age structure, um, and other things that people, other people hold at the, for some reason, people think that an age class or a a number of as far as the inches of antlers are concerned is is what's important and it's not at all it's what you mentioned about the experiences and and smelling the air and just being outside and experiencing nature and that i couldn't agree with you more dude that that's my whole kick i get off on stuff like that and uh man I, i just feel that there's so many people out there that you know hey thank you for being in our community thank you for hunting but just take a second and realize what you have in front of you. And it's not about, Hey, I have to kill this big buck so I can fit in. Yeah. hundred percent. So, yeah. Um, now go ahead. That's the one thing that like people need to understand. We're all on the same freaking team, man. Like if you're a hunter, we're all on the same team. And like, I don't care if you hunt high fence I don't care if you hunt over a freaking corn pile. Um, I don't care if you like to hunt out of ground blinds and I like to hunt out of tree stands or, you know, I hunt it all. I mean, I use tree stands, blinds. We use bait in states that it's legal because most of the time that's the only way you can even look at a deer if a a state is baited heavily because all the neighbors are baiting, you know. But I love to go out in state and hunt places like Illinois and places where it's just me and the deer like it was when I was a kid. Those are my favorite places to hunt. And, you know, even here in Ohio where I live, it's baiting is just ridiculously crazy. Yeah. But even there, I've learned how to hunt these big bucks 
not on the bait, but how they use the bait at night and how they go to it or how they're working the does off the bait, where they bed. It tells me where they're at, where they're bedding. And then I hunt them that way still and I kill them. Yeah. And it irritates the snot out of people, but I just do it differently. Yeah. And, but, you know, people got to remember, like, you know, we deal with it on a daily basis, having a show and a social media platform with a lot of followers, just the stupid negative comments that people will say, you know, it's like, dude, what does it matter? We're all hunters. We're all doing the same thing. We're all buying hunting license. We all don't like liberals. We all, you know, we're not here, <laughs> you know, or we, sh- you shouldn't because they want to take your rights away, you know, like support one another. Yeah. Maybe you can same think team. something yeah. doesn't mean you got to type it out, you know? So, so what it makes you upset that some guy is standing there taking, you know, he just shot a deer over a pile of corn in Kentucky. So what? Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean you got to call the guy out on it. You know, he's still a hunter. Yeah. He's still on your side. Exactly. You know, I wish people would just see this. You know, the world is so, ah, it's just, it's irritating. And and I guess, too, because, Dan, I'm 47. I didn't grow up with social media. Yeah, you know same I mean? here. Yep. And so, like, I just never was worried about that kind of stuff and feeling like I had to approve to anybody. And, you know, when I was younger, if you and a buddy didn't get along or you guys had a disagreement, you beat each other's ass in the yard and you get over it. Yeah. You know, and you were best friends again. Yep. You know, but you always had each other's back. Yeah. That's you know a fact, I mean? man. Like and, the focus and is that's on the division. Be. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. how hunters should be. It doesn't matter if you're a crossbow hunter, a bow hunter, a stick bow hunter, a rifle hunter, a muzzleloader hunter. We are all brothers in this and sisters, and we should support each other no matter what. Absolutely. I agree, man. I couldn't agree with you more, man. And uh, and that's what a lot of guys are taught. You know, a lot of guys talk about who, uh, you know, who have said the same thing that you have. Once we can connect as a community and really get on board, it would be impossible for an anti-hunting organization to take down 11 million voices you know what i mean uh or however many voices there are in the hunting community except instead we're bitching about like we're throwing memes on the internet and we're bitching about saddle hunters or crossbow hunters or whatever and uh i don't know it's uh it's to the point where it's hilarious to me to look at this i just shake my head and laugh at it yeah yeah i mean it it is hilarious and it's sad at the same time yeah that's a fact you know but I can tell you, I had a little faith reinstored this, not this, this past weekend. I did a deer acid classic. They had me down there for that. And, you know, standing in front of that crowd of people, you know, all these Buckeye rednecks that I live here with give me a lot of hope that there ain't nobody ever going to take our guns. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, if, if it comes down to that and the people have to come out of the woodwork, it's amazing how many people are on our side. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, I just, and I think they know it. Yeah. I think that's why they're so worried about the whole Trump train and all this stuff. I think they understand that the rural community is way bigger than once it comes together. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I think uh, um, when it comes to just like politics in general, I don't care who you voted for. Um, you know, that's your right. You can vote for whoever you want to vote for. That's the freedom of this country. But when 
people, these loud voices, and I was talking to my wife about this, like there's going to come a time, and this is one of the only time I've ever talked, I guess you want to call it politics on this podcast, but there's going to come a time where this, the majority of people who, in my opinion, I believe it's the majority, um, who don't complain, they go to their jobs, they go to work, they don't protest, they don't riot, they're just quiet. When that large, large group of people gets pissed off, that's when there's going to be major issues because those people have had it. They've been poked by the stick so much that, you know, a lot of the times those people are just like, okay, yeah, whatever. All right. I'm just going to continue doing. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to continue doing my job. I'm going to continue doing my life. Okay. All right. They're taking some rights away from us. Okay. All right. Whatever. It's not a big deal. Whatever. Okay. You're not doing that anymore. Like there's going to be a time where that large group of people takes this country back, whether they do like whether people realize it or not. That's that's my opinion. I think there's going to be a big the the people of this country finally put their foot down and say, all right, that's enough. Yeah, well, and I think, too, and I don't think that every person that, say, maybe voted for Biden is 100 percent like a liberal by any means. Yeah. Um, or a person that's like really, cause I, I mean, I'm sure, you know, back in the day and not again, not to get political, but you know, when we were growing up, Democrats and Republicans really weren't all that different. No, you know, nope. they, they really wanted the country in my eyes to just be a good place for everybody to live and be successful. They had some different views on certain things, but this whole thing of like, you know, just, and I'm not afraid to say it if I make people mad, but like this whole, like men competing in women's sports and, you know, (laughs) this transgender stuff and all this. Yeah. The the gay rights. And I mean, you know, when did it become bad to, to be a man or to be a woman or to who you were that God made you? I mean, like since when is that a, a crime? Yeah. You know, or to, I don't know, like to, to be a person that serves God and goes to church, you know, like now we're the enemy, you know, I mean, we are in those times, Dan, where, you know, the Bible talks about it, that right is, will be seen as wrong and wrong will be seen as right. And we are entering those days. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's nuts, man. Um, I just, as a parent in this world, I just have to do my best job to educate my kids to keep them on the right path, but at the same time, make the right decision. And that's, I think that's the hardest part as a parent is to teach a child to make the, I can say what is right and wrong, but to teach them to know the difference between right and wrong and to like, that's the tough part. And that's my goal is just like to educate my kids on what's right and wrong and what, uh, outcomes of things you know my kids are way too young to understand some of that stuff right now but uh i don't know man that, but the, kind of going coming back to it all outdoors being an outdoorsman is plays a huge role in that getting my kids to be outside and when they're outside enjoying nature they're not like consuming all the other crap that is being fed to them through maybe like a device or a um I don't know, the television or, you know, social media or whatever. I just, I, I just take them outside and have them just get disconnected. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, dang, dude, I, I think about it now and I've, I'm trying to, I'm hoping I can be able to do it this year, but I have seriously thought about like not having my cell phone with me in while the tree. I'm sitting in a tree stand. Yeah. Um, and it's hard because, you know, we're so connected in the world now and like whether it's through work and emails or with the show and editors and things going on. I mean, there's always something, but again, it's like, feels like we're always looking at it, you know, you're sitting in a dang deer stand and you're looking at your phone and it's like, what am I doing? Exactly. You know, I'm even guilty of it. Like, it's like, man, what the heck am I doing? You know? And it's like, I can remember being a kid and, you know, sitting in those trees, you know, never having cell phones up until the age. I think I got my first actual smartphone when I was like 38, probably like 10 years ago, 39, somewhere in there, you know, 37. But, you know, and I didn't even know how to text. I had never even texted anybody, (laughs) you know, and and then I kind of liked it because I don't have to talk to that person. Yeah. You know, I can just text them. But yeah. man, it's like made things, in my opinion, it's made things worse for as far as just, uh, I noticed last night sitting at the fair, me and my wife were just sitting there in between the break of the auction. We were sitting on a bench out there just eating a sandwich and I just started looking around and it was amazing. It, it was like a bunch of like robots. Yeah. Yeah. Kids walking around with their hand up to their face and their nose and their phone. Yep. With three other kids beside them doing the same thing. Exactly. You know, in adults, all of us doing it. And it's like, what is going on? You know, it was just like this, like revelation. It just smacked me right in the face. And it's like, just look around, you know. I feel you. I feel you. It's a lot of power to have in a kid's hand. Yeah. It really is. You know, like, and I'll be honest, my 13-year-old boy, he does not have a cell phone. Yeah. Um, and he deals with some crap over it and he, he's a little mad at me at times, but I think he understands it, but there's no way I'm giving that kid a smartphone at his age, you know? Yeah. And you know, a flip phone, like if he's on his four wheeler and he's going to grandma's to do some, I or something, that's one thing. So he can get a hold of us if something happens, but I don't know, man, I just, I think people really need to, to think about things because it's just a lot of power in a kid's hand. And I know this has nothing to do with deer hunting, but yeah. but it does in a sense because if a kid's on his phone the whole time he's deer hunting, he's no. not going to learn how to deer hunt. Nope, not at all. Agree, 100%. 100%. Now, let's take a hard pivot real quick. And let's, let's talk about, okay, you're from Ohio. Like outside of Ohio, do you have a favorite state to hunt? Yeah. I, I guess I would say I do. Um, I guess I'd be, I don't know. I might be partial to two. I mean, it'd be a tie almost, but Iowa and Illinois are really special places, you know, and um, Iowa is so special because you can only partake of it as a non-resident anymore, like every four to six years. Yep. Um, so I guess there you have so much anticipation when you go there. Um, and I've never been let down going to Iowa at seeing a big deer, no matter where I'm hunting, Yeah, public or private, whatever. I mean, it's just, they're there, you know, 
Illinois is not quite as great as Iowa as far as that, but they have them too, you know, yeah. and I get to hunt Illinois every year. I own land in Illinois. So, um, I'm a, I love Illinois so much. I bought a farm there. So, yeah. um, but partly too, I bought in Illinois because I can get a tag as a landowner. Yeah. You know, even in in Iowa, you could own 50,000 acres and you still can't hunt your own dang ground. Yeah. If you know, you have to draw for a tag, which I think is the most infringement of anybody's rights in the planet. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to pay your taxes and I'm going to own land here, but I can't hunt it. Yeah. So let me ask you about this because I've had, I'm from Iowa and I have, I I've, seen it firsthand and i know this is maybe the way of the world right now but especially okay iowa is a great state to hunt let's just say there you know anything south you cut the state in half north south the south part of the state is some of it is some of the best hunting deer hunting in the entire country right it's it's the mecca right then we have uh some parts up in the northeast iowa that are some like the the most Boone and Crockett's to ever come out of the state of Iowa is in the far furthest northeast county. Yeah, Alamakee, right? Al, yep, Alamakee. Yep, yeah. Alamakee. So we have right along the Mississippi River, we had some good hunting. Then we have the entire like northwest corner, which still has some great deer along the the Missouri River, but then we have nothing but ag fields. Uh, to the north like i think i read somewhere that um iowa first off is less than two percent public ground and second like 10 percent timber cover meaning the rest is pasture and ag field right so the the cover is you know the the there's cover there the deer get big they have a lot of crops we have um good opportunities for residents, maybe not so good opportunities for non-resident landowners. Here's the issue that I see. And I've, I've, I've witnessed this firsthand because I've seen large chunks of land get bought by out of state land hunters and you know, they turn it into an outfitter and it kicks all the locals out. Right? So the devil's advocate in me wants to say, if a landowner's get to have a tag in Iowa because they do pay the taxes and, and all that stuff. Um, do you feel like that would just bring more big money into the state, exploit the, the awesome natural resource that we have and then kick the locals and other people out of their, let's just say permission type spots. Well, I mean, there's no doubt that it would open it up to, like any other state that allows you to get a landowner tag if you own land, you know? Um, and it's going to, you know, it's going to basically make it to, and I, I guess here's the thing, how I look at it. Are you going to fault a guy for being successful and having money that he wants to buy a farm in Iowa? Right. You know, and then he can't hunt it. I also understand the point of like, okay, cause I've seen it happen where I live. It's happening right now. Yeah. You know, a lot of land is selling around my house in the, in this County and the area that I'm in. And I moved here just for the deer hunting. Um, you know, I moved two hours South where I was born and raised just for the hunting here. And now it's changing completely in the last 15 years. 
because all the land is being sold, but it's being sold into to smaller chunks. I think what Iowa needs to do is like, if you're a landowner, you need to own a certain amount of ground. You don't open it up to where just every little guy can go buy 20 acres and get a tag every year. Cause that'll change the way Iowa is hundred yeah. percent. I mean, I think it needs to be more, you know, like you need to own a hundred acres or 200, eight, whatever they want to do, just something to allow some people that love to bow hunt in a sense. Cause most people that are going to spend that money, Dan, aren't really going to be those people that you're scared of. Yeah. Yes. It may take away some, some hunting for a, a, a few locals that have hunted there forever but that chance goes with anything if you don't own the land. Yeah. You know, um, and, you know, I'm pretty sure somebody wouldn't be buying the land like that out of state and then trying to sell hunts on it or outfit on it. But, I mean, maybe they would. I don't know. But I, I guess I just think of it as a little bit weird in the sense of, like, if you own land and you're paying taxes on it, I just feel like you ought to be able to do with it what you want, you yeah. know, in a, in a in a degree in that sense. But there's no doubt that the reason Iowa is the way that it is is because of how strict they are about it. So yeah. it's a double-edged sword. I yep. guess I'm just butt hurt because I wanted to buy an Iowa, and, I couldn't do it. <laughs> and that's what I that was going to be my next. Uh, so what if I said this to you? then don't buy land in Iowa. If you don't like that yeah. rule, don't buy land in Iowa. And it sounds yeah. like that was one of the reasons why you didn't buy land in Iowa. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and I try, I wanted to, Yeah, but, yeah. and I had some great opportunities to look at some really good stuff. And I, I just couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to stomach the fact of not being able to archery hunt it every season. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and there's no way my wife's going to move to Iowa right now. So, Hey, I feel it, you, it is what it is. Well, um, if you ever just need, if you ever are missing Iowa and want to know what it's like, just give me a call and I'll kind of, you know, I'll have my phone in the tree stand with me and you can just, Hey, what's yeah. it like out there? And I'll just fill you in. Yeah. I dream about Iowa, dude. I mean, yeah. I've seen, I've had some great success in Iowa and yep. you know, I, I used to hunt the public, all public. And now the zone I used to hunt, it's amazing how many applicants are in that zone. Cause I literally used to draw almost every year yep and it was a zone that most people didn't weren't going after but now there's a lot going after it and they don't issue very many tags and so that has all kind of been washed down the drain yep so and and i get it and it's fine i mean it, it is what it is so i'm i'm happy i bought a farm in illinois and i'm pleased you know i just i really love iowa i, I think there's not much of a place anywhere that can produce the kind of deer that Iowa does on a regular basis. But again, I think a lot of that is, is because there's not the population of people. The land isn't busted up as small and they don't make it very easy for a bunch of non-residents to come in and hunt it. So, yeah. you know, yep. that's proof to your point, I guess, you know. Yep. Well, I tell you what, man, we've been BSing for a while now. And I, I, I just want to say, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on, man. Um, thank you very much for doing so. And let me be the first to wish you, or maybe not, but, uh, good luck this upcoming season and keep us posted. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, uh, if you guys want to find us, just go to whitetailedge.com or on the YouTube whitetail edge TV. We're also on the mossy, mossy Oak go app. Uh, we're on, uh, which you can get that on Roku or anywhere on your smartphone. We're on carbon TV. 
and you'll see a lot of big deer hit the ground and we try really hard to uh, teach people how to hunt those deer you know in, in a respectful way we appreciate everybody that watches and we need the support you know so and there you have it ladies and gentlemen another episode in the books huge shout out to ben for taking time out of his day to hop on and uh, chat with us huge shout out to all of you for taking time to listen Huge shout out to the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles, Wasp Archery, Vortex Optics, Hunt Stand, Ozonics, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, Exodus Trail Cameras, and Excalibur Crossbows. Please go out and support the brands that support this company, and uh, we will catch you on the flip side. Remember, this life is all about positive energy. Good vibes in, good vibes out, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.